Welcome to episode 181 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, it's too hard. I'm too tired. I just can't. Is resilience a lost skill? And how can we pass it on to the next generation? On today's top five list, we'll talk about how to raise the next generation of strong hikers and backpackers. Then, if you're looking for a way to introduce backpacking to new readers, we have the perfect book for you. For today's backpack hack of the week, an instant food option that can fill a tortilla and feed a crowd. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. We recently had a conversation with a visiting church leader. There were about 10 of us around the table, and he said, How do we help young people develop resilience? And he asked the question of everyone around the table, How did you have opportunities to develop resilience? What did others do for you? Or what opportunities did you provide to your children? Or how do you help your grandchildren? Or what can we do to help kids develop resilience? And around the table, we had people of ages ranging from probably about 80 years old down to, well, I think we were probably about the youngest there in our 40s. And as some people shared how they developed resilience as children, many of the answers actually centered around agriculture that they had times when they grew up on a farm and they were they were working on the farm they had to do those farm tasks no matter what one of the people around the table in his 50s he didn't grow up on a farm but he worked for a farmer one summer and the farmer assigned him to assemble one of those irrigation lines the wheel lines where it's a series of pipes connected to these huge metal wheels and then in the middle there's this kind of motor that runs everything And the farmer refused to give him any help. He just had to do it on his own. And he thought it would be impossible. And when he finally finished, he said his hands were so sore that when he drove home that evening, he didn't even wrap his fingers around the steering wheel. He just kind of (laughs) pressed his hands against the steering wheel. And then he was amazed that a few months ago, he went back to that small town that he grew up in. And on a lark, he decided to drive down the lane where that farm was located. And out in the field, what did he see but an old irrigation wheel line? And he thought, that has to be the same line that I assembled 35 years ago. And that, that was something that helped him develop resilience. But here's the problem. Back in 1800, 90% of people worked in agriculture. By 1900, it had dropped to 40%. By 1950, it was down to just 15%. Now, from about 2000 to present, it has hovered around 1.5%. Well, if only 1.5% of people in, in America have an opportunity to work on a farm, then clearly agriculture is no longer going to be the way that we teach resilience to our children. Sure, there will be a few, maybe a percent, but most children aren't going to have that same opportunity that a child growing up in the early 1900s had. That means that we're quite possibly raising a generation now that doesn't have the opportunity 
to learn resilience. Or at least it's not as easy to learn resilience. It's like we have to go out of our way now to teach it. And, and that was something I shared around the table that day, that historically, people have always had uncomfortable situations or risky situations or situations that they had to endure physically. And today we don't have that. Our house is always comfortable, always dry, and we always have running water, we always have heat, the toilets always flush. And so we don't kind of naturally have those trials and challenges that people had throughout human history, that they've disappeared in the last hundred years. And so now it's like we have to actually go out of our way to find opportunities to teach resilience to our children. Well, I think it would be helpful to define resilience. And I found a great definition on the Psychology Today website. It says that resilience is that ineffable quality that allows some people to be knocked down by life and come back stronger than ever. Rather than letting failure overcome them and drain their resolve, they find a way to rise from the ashes. And so when we talk about resilience, we're not just talking about the ability to endure physical challenges. It's that all of those skills that you may develop from enduring physical challenges, they translate over to all of these challenges that we have nowadays that are not physical in nature. They're, they're emotional, they're mental, they're, you know, they're these challenges that are kind of more in our brain and in our feelings. It's not that it's cold outside or, or cold in the house. Instead, it's that I didn't do well on a test at school. Or I broke up with my boyfriend, girlfriend, or I didn't get the job that I wanted. Or I have or too I, much homework. Just things that kind of pile up in life. Those kinds of things can really tax your resilience muscle. And resilience isn't something that you're just born with. It's something that you really can develop, and it's something that we should give the next generation as a gift. Give them opportunities to develop resilience. And as the conversation went around the table that day with that church leader, when it got to us, he, he had already learned that we have this backpacking podcast and that we take our kids out backpacking. And he said, ah, the Leglers, you have backpacking that helps your kids learn resilience. And we said, yeah, absolutely. That is one of the greatest benefits that we get from taking our kids backpacking. And that leads perfectly into today's top five list, which is the top five ways to teach resilience while backpacking with children. In episode 152, our top five list was the top five skills that are easier to teach outside than indoors. And one of those five things was resilience. And these ways that we're going to talk about today will help your children to develop resilience and to stretch that resilience muscle. So they'll learn the skill and then they'll be able to practice it. Dr. Jack Shonkoff from Harvard Center on the Developing Child said, we're talking about the capacities and skills and abilities that give people a sense of mastery and management of difficulty. So resilience isn't just something that they'll learn on the trail and then never use it again or only use it when they backpack. No, resilience is a lifelong gift that they can apply throughout their lives. And the number one way to teach resilience while backpacking with children is to develop a strong relationship with your child. 
According to Harvard University's Center on the Developing Child, the single most common factor for children who develop resilience is at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive parent, caregiver, or other adult. These relationships provide the personalized responsiveness, scaffolding, and protection that buffer children from developmental disruption. The simple act of spending quantity time with your child on the trail can lead to a strong relationship with your child which builds resilience. Isn't this one almost counterintuitive? Like you might think that if you had a child and you you kind of throw them out on the street, that'll force them to develop resilience. They're going to have to think and act for themselves. They're not going to be able to come back to someone who takes care of their problems for them. And that would build resilience. Kind of the street smarts. Yeah. 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 And so this is the counterintuitive one. This is the one that says that having that loving, nurturing, stable adult relationship that's a comfort to them, that's something they come back to when they're struggling with resilience, you know, when they're facing those problems at school or elsewhere, they have this person they can come back to because they can trust that relationship. They know that person will always be there. And sometimes it's a parent, a grandparent, or it could be a scout leader. Just a stable adult influence in that child's life is the key factor for developing resilience in children. And we have quite a few listeners who've written to us and said, I just went backpacking for the first time with my 10-year-old child or, you know, my 7-year-old or I took my kids out backpacking for the first time. And that is one of the most, I don't know, one of the most fulfilling emails or messages that I get from our listeners is when I find that they have been inspiring the next generation and including them in their time on the trail. So it's one thing for a child to see that you go backpacking and that you come home from backpacking trips uh, energized and kind of ready to face the world again. And then it's like a whole new level when a child doesn't just see you go on a backpacking trip, but they go with you on a backpacking trip. The number two way to teach resilience while backpacking with children is to encourage proactive behaviors. I don't know how many times we've heard from our children at home and on the trail, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm bored. And it's really tempting as a parent to say, all right, what can I do to solve your problem? But maybe this is a great opportunity to help your child practice proactive behaviors and say, all right, what can you do to fix that? Or... Sometimes what we do when they say they're hungry, tired, or bored, we say, that's okay, because it is. A lot of times Josh and I are hungry or tired or bored, and we, we live through it. We manage. And so teaching your children that it's okay to be somewhat uncomfortable is a way for you to teach them resilience. In episode 179, where we kind of gave the trip report from our spring break trip, we mentioned that one night our 10-year-old got pretty cold at night. Well, I was blown away by his demonstration of resilience. As I shared, uh, about 4 o'clock in the morning, I think it was, I heard some rustling outside the tent and kind of listened and realized that our 10-year-old was stoking up the campfire that we had left the embers of that night so that he could warm himself up. Well, I think that you had, had you kind of prepped him like before he went to bed? Yeah, I just let him know that it was going to be a cold night. It was going to be in the 30s and we had prepped him. He was wearing his clothes. He was wearing a hat. He was wearing a warm sleeping bag and he had an underquilt. 
but I knew that there was a chance that he was going to be cold. And so I just kind of ran him through some options of what he could do if he got cold. I said, there's the fire over there. You could go stoke the fire or you can come in and see if you can fit between daddy and I, or you can put on more of your clothes. You have some options and it's going to be cold. So those are your options. So this is the combining together of that first method of teaching resilience, which is to have a strong relationship with the second one, which is encouraging proactive behavior. So you have a strong relationship with him. And prior to going to bed that night, you helped him to foresee that it is going to be cold and that it, potentially he was going to get too cold in his hammock. And so you shared with him several options that he could take to proactively respond to getting too cold at night. And he took one. And the option that he took, interesting to me, was a very independent option. We eventually brought him in from the fire. You know, once I kind of woke up and realized he was out there, we invited him into our two-person <laughs> tent and, and we squeezed him in and we got him warmed up. But his first choice response to being cold at night was a very independent response. I'll stoke up the fire and warm myself up. I think part of encouraging proactive behaviors is to, I guess, take the role of the supportive parent, but not the acting parent, you know, like to bounce ideas off of your child and let them know, okay, here are some of your options, but not to jump in and immediately solve it for them. Children are a lot more capable of solving their own problems than we give them credit for. And I think we need to give them opportunities to solve their own problems. The number three way to teach resilience while backpacking with children is to let out the leash. How can you expect a child to solve their own problems if they have no problems. So by letting the leash out, so to speak, and giving your child a larger, more potentially dangerous playground, you're giving them the opportunity to have problems. This is not a comfortable idea for parents because parents don't want to cause harm to their children. And sometimes I think we take that a little bit too far and we don't allow any harm or potential harm to come to our children. It's a really tricky balance. But you can view the forest, you can view the trail as that larger, more dangerous playground. But there is another playground that is larger than that and even more dangerous, and it's called life. And if you let them exercise their risk muscle on the trail, it'll give them opportunities to get hurt and recover to take a risk, fail, and then try again, and then take what they've learned into that big old dangerous playground called life. And they'll use that resiliency and they'll use the skills that they learned on the trail as they navigate life. And when we let out the leash, we're also making sure that they have some unprogrammed time. So we're on a backpacking trip and we don't have every minute of the day programmed for them, but instead they have these extended chunks of time each day on the trip where nothing's planned. And they get to figure out for themselves how they're going to spend that time. And they come up with so many creative ways to spend the time. They might come up with some games or go exploring or really dig into nature, you know, to see what's in the river or what's in the trees. All of that is developing these mental abilities to plan, to carry out plans, to observe and investigate, to identify, categorize, like, you know, just all these different skills that they learn because 
you didn't teach them. <laughs> like, you know, like they're learning those things because you didn't overprogram them. They learn them naturally through their own play and through their own activities. I have to laugh because on our last trip, one of the activities is something I don't know if any other kid has ever done on a backpacking trip, but they packed along a science workbook from school that the class was all finished with, and they stood around the fire ripping pages out of that and throwing it in the fire. It's wildly entertaining for hours, literally. They even created little chimneys and pipes and things out of curled up paper. And, you know, there was a lot of learning going on with this uh, science workbook. We also had the opportunity to lit out the leash when we went to Shepherd's Tower on that trip. Yeah. We hiked up a hill to this big rock that had been used for bouldering. And there were a couple holds in there for people who do rock climbing. And our boys, our two oldest boys, found a way to kind of scramble up to the top. But I knew that they were being careful. I knew that if they fell off, it was going to be some soft dirt that they fell into. But still, watching them up there on the very top was pretty scary for me. You start getting kind of queasy just right. by looking at them up on top of the tower. Yeah. I, I was a few minutes behind you guys coming up the hillside. So my guess is, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that as soon as they got up there, they were probably focused on how to get to the top of that tower. Right. And were immediately starting to try different approaches. And I'm guessing that your immediate gut reaction was this decision you had to make of whether or not to call out to them and say, wait, don't climb that tower. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times as a parent, my gut reaction is to say something, but the best reaction is to say nothing and let things unfold and uh, let them experience life. It was really, it was a challenge for me to just let them uh, take those risks. And I think I did ask Isaac, our oldest, are you being careful and can you get back down? Can <laughs> yeah. you get up a little ways and then climb down a little ways? And he was pretty confident and he said, I promise I won't take any stupid risks. And so I felt like once he made it to the top, he was able to guide his younger brother to the top. And uh, they felt really empowered by the risks that they took. And you could tell by the pictures that you took of them, they were doing these poses where they were flexing their the muscles. strongman poses. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, we, uh, we have conquered the world. <laughs> right. And our 10-year-old, no, he didn't climb the tower. That was too risky for him. But it was an appropriate risk for the older two boys. The number four way to teach resilience while backpacking with children is to develop your own cultural traditions. So Josh, what traditions are a part of backpacking for you? First, backpacking itself is a family tradition of ours. It has become so over the last three or four years as we've gone backpacking with the kids. And, and now when we talk about, for example, our plans for this coming summer, well, it's just natural for all six of us to think in terms of what backpacking trips are we going to take. Now, there's a million other things we could do this summer, but that's just, we naturally think in that direction that, of course, we're going to go backpacking this summer and we start planning out those trips. So backpacking itself is a tradition that our family has developed. And then within backpacking, I think we have some really fun traditions. I, I think the, the meals that we cook, like once in a while, we'll bring a freeze-dried meal, but often we're preparing our own meals 
I think you're right. Food is a big part of the traditions that we have on the trail um, because they're a little bit different than what we eat at home. And the tradition of building a fire, that's a really important tradition that, you know, if you've ever been backpacking when there's a fire ban, you know, it's just, it's heartbreaking because you all want to gather around the fire and there's, there's just this empty fire ring. So we love it when we can build fires together and just kind of poke a stick in it and have that, that family chatter around the fire as the sun is setting. Oh, and then there are the traditions like settling into your campsite you know, where we all get there and we're trying to figure out who is supposed to be doing what and who's going to be putting up the tarp over the boys' hammocks and where are we going to set up our tent and where are we going to eat dinner? Just all those little things. You're you're kind of building a temporary home together in the wilderness. And I love that tradition. You feel established and you feel secure and safe in your little campsite. Even the act of crawling into your sleeping bag at night becomes this tradition that you just love. And I've heard a lot of people mention the rhythm of the trail, just kind of that groove that you get into as you take step after step, mile after mile. That's its own tradition, too. And then creating an outdoor culture within your family that we're not afraid to brave the elements. We're not afraid to get dirty. We're not afraid to be uncomfortable. And we're not afraid of nature and being outside. Developing that outdoor culture is part of developing cultural traditions that will give your children resilience. These last three methods of teaching resilience that we've just shared, um, encouraging proactive behaviors, letting out the leash, and developing cultural traditions, they're all part of a, a bigger concept called executive functioning. Executive functioning is the ability to utilize your resources and knowledge and skills to work toward a goal. So that whole mental ability to identify a need or a goal and then to marshal up the resources or the tasks that it would take to get there. The big word for it is executive functioning. And this happens in so many ways on backpacking trips. And the number five way to teach resilience while backpacking with children is to take that time for recovery. In an article posted on Harvard's website, they said the key to resilience is trying really hard, then stopping, recovering, and then trying again. They said when the body is out of alignment from overworking, we waste a vast amount of mental and physical resources trying to return to balance before we can move forward. Backpacking is such a perfect fit for this because in our day-to-day lives, a lot of what really kills us is the constant, constant stress that we feel from this kind of relentless stuff that just happens day in and day out. And we develop those anxieties and and those worries, and we never escape them. (laughs) Well, with backpacking, I think what's cool is that you go out on a backpacking trip and you experience all of these difficulties on the trip or discomforts. Now I'm making backpacking sound like it's horrible, (laughs) but but it's wonderful. For a period of time, you're uncomfortable. You're too cold. You're too hot. You're too sweaty. You're too thirsty. You're too hungry. But it lasts for just a period of time. And then you come back home to the comforts of home and you recover. And you go out on another backpacking trip and experience that again. And again, you have time to recover coming back home. Well, that's funny that you said that you recover when you come back home, because I was thinking of it the opposite way, that like you said, we have all these stresses at home and you go out 
backpacking in it into the wilderness to recover. Well, you're right. So I think it works <laughs> both ways. It's just nice to have that time for recovery. Either way, whether you find your recovery back in the comfort of your own bed and with a hot shower and running water, or you find that recovery from being out in the wilderness, I think, I think you can find it in both places. So perhaps we go backpacking to recover from all of the mental and emotional stresses that we feel. And then we come home to recover from the physical exertion that we faced on the backpacking trip. Right. I never get blisters at home. I always no, get them out on the trail. You know, there's. I think it's good to have a balance. But I like this idea of trying really hard, stopping to recover, and then trying again. And you can actually practice this cycle while you're on the trail. There are plenty of times where you can stop, take that little bit of recovery time, regroup, and then press forward. So ultimately, our kids are still growing, and we don't yet know how resilient they'll be as adults. But I think we see some signs that are encouraging. When you take children out backpacking, you think you're teaching them these things like you know, how to start a fire or how to pack your pack or how to set up a tent, when in reality, you're teaching them one of the most important skills that they will have throughout their lives, and that is how to be resilient. For today's Summit Gear Review, a little bit of shameless self-promotion. <laughs> We're not embarrassed. We're going to be talking about Backpacker ABCs, our new children's book. And this book was written to inspire children to become familiar with backpacking. And this book is kind of unique because it's about three little children going backpacking by themselves. There's no adults in this book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, it doesn't mean the adults aren't there, but they're just, they're not in the children's view. Right. right? These are very resilient children in this <laughs> <Yeah>. book. <laughs> well, this is a short little ABC book. Everything is written in rhyme, and it follows these three children throughout a day of backpacking. From the moment they wake up and have their gear all packed up, awaiting adventure, until they zip up their tent and drift off to sleep. This was a project that I did with my daughter, I wrote the little rhymey poems, and she did all of the watercolor illustrations. Of all of the books that we've written for the first 40 Miles audience, this one, I feel, will have the greatest impact. This book potentially has the power to inspire children to go backpacking. And if children read this book, then it also potentially has the power to inspire children to drag their parents along. <laughs> Yeah, we're really excited about the Backpacker ABCs book because we know that many of you might buy it for your children or grandchildren, nieces, nephews, etc. You're already into backpacking, and this gives you a way to illustrate for them and help them envision what their first backpacking trip will be like. They'll envision that whole process from jumping in the car to starting out on the trail to the challenges that they'll face along the way. And pulling out their first aid kit to take care of a scratch or stopping to get some food or putting on their rain gear because it's starting to rain. They'll be able to just kind of foresee all of that on the pages of the book to help them really figure out and, and, and feel comfortable with what this backpacking is going to be like. Um, but also, as Heather mentioned, I really hope that some kids discover this book 
whose parents or aunts or uncles or grandparents aren't backpackers, and that some kids will discover this book and say, I want to go backpacking and get their parents out there, get their family out there. That'd be really cool to see. I, I can't wait to hear some stories about that. Usually in the Summit Gear Review, we give the mass. You want to give us a little breakdown on the weight and size? Sure. Well, it's a eight and a half by eight and a half. <laughs> and uh, since it's an ABC's book, then it's pretty easy to know that it has a little bit more than 26 pages in it. I did weigh the book. It's 3.2 ounces. All right. There is a coloring book. You can also get the coloring book, and that's 6.4 ounces. <laughs> Of course, you can go for the ebook, which is zero ounces. Exactly. Yeah. For investment, Backpacker ABCs is $10.99 for the paperback, $4.99 for the ebook. However, if you buy the paperback on Amazon, you can get the ebook on Amazon for just 99 cents. They do a deal on that. And then there's the coloring book, uh, that's $8.99. And if you just want to read it for free and show it to all your children, nieces, nephews, whoever you know, you can go to backpackerabcs.com and watch a video of the book. It's narrated, of course, by Heather <laughs> and uh, showcases all of the illustrations from the book, too. So you can just listen to the entire book through the video. Um, also on backpackerabcs.com, we've put together a parent and teacher resource sheet. Like we said, we, we really feel excited that Backpacker ABCs can be a way to introduce kids to concepts of backpacking and bigger concepts like we talked about today in the top five list, like developing resilience. And so the teacher and parent resource sheet has a whole bunch of ideas on how to use concepts from this simple ABCs book to teach children about these big backpacking-related and life-related concepts. So for example, the book touches on Leave No Trace touches on first aid, uh, touches on knots. It touches on the resilience that it takes, I guess you could say, to endure some switchbacks and some long trails. And then for the kids who go to backpackerabcs.com, there's stuff there for them too. We have a couple of uh, printable posters. So print it out, stick it on the wall, a couple of printable coloring pages, and they can also buy t-shirts that feature some of the illustrations from the book. We're just excited to help kids in any way we can to discover the outdoors and discover this activity of backpacking that has so much potential to improve their lives. Our youngest child is in fourth grade, and I went into his class to talk about backpacking. So even though this book is designed for kind of a younger set, I read it to them anyway, and I was kind of surprised by some of the comments that came out as I was reading it. Um, when I read the M page, the mountains are calling, said our good friend John Muir. One of the kids shouted out, who's John Muir? <laughs> so that gave me an opportunity to talk about this wilderness explorer and what he did and kind of how he inspired people to get outside. When I read the page where the three little kids are sitting around the campfire, one of the kids in my son's class said, where are the marshmallows? Uh, which is a which is a negligent omission on my part. There are no marshmallows in this book. Oh. I'm sorry. That is the one fail from this book. They're sitting around the campfire singing and playing the ukulele, but there are no marshmallows roasting over the campfire. No marshmallows. Oh. I mean, maybe they're in someone's pack and they haven't gotten out yet. You can use your imagination. Um, in the section on knots, on the page about the knots, 
uh, one of the kids in the class said, what's a bowline knot? Is that like a violin bow? Which he had never heard of a bowline knot. And so it gave me an opportunity to share a little bit about knots. So there are lots of words that will come up as you read this book to a child where you'll be able as an adult to explain what these things mean. So do you have a favorite page in the book, Josh? Well, I love how our daughter Hannah put these little details in pretty much every page of the book. Like if you look at the illustration on that page, you're going to find some clever little thing that she did with that illustration. One example, one of my favorites is the page for L about leave no trace. And way down in the bottom corner is Bigfoot's footprint. (laughs) It's teaching us to be like Bigfoot and leave no trace. Exactly. (laughs) There's this very subtle trace of Bigfoot right in the corner. Just his footprint. Well, my favorite page is O because it's a picture of this girl standing on a ledge and right next to her is a fox that's doing the same thing that she is. They both have their arms outstretched and they're just feeling the breeze blow by. And it's just such a refreshing image and you can feel the breeze as you look at that image. And I have another favorite, the one that makes me laugh every single time where the three characters are in their rain gear. One of them is wearing a poncho, and the other two have this double poncho that they're wearing. I've never seen a double poncho before, but it makes me laugh every single time I see their little heads poking out of this bright yellow poncho together. It's really cute. So we know a lot of First 40 Milers have really been anticipating this book. We've posted a few things on Facebook and Twitter as we've been putting it together and getting it ready for publication day. And we know a lot of First 40 Milers have already identified the kids in their lives they're going to buy it for. That's amazing. We really appreciate that. And we love that, that you're thinking about how to introduce kids to backpacking and give them this opportunity to discover a really cool lifelong activity. So the book launched today. Uh, May 1st, 2018, if you're listening to this episode sometime later. And you can get it on Amazon, the paperback, the coloring book, or the ebook. You can also get the ebook on iTunes as well. And the best way to go is just visit backpackerabcs.com and take it from there. But in order for a lot of people to really discover this book and for more kids to have the opportunity to learn about backpacking, boy, the number one most important thing that you could do that would be the most helpful for us is to leave a review of the book on Amazon or iTunes. Those reviews are so helpful. Before people buy a book, they want to know what someone else thought about the book. And after you've read through the book and shared it with your kids, share some of those experiences, share their reactions, the things that were interesting to them, the things that spurred additional conversations, and the things that became teaching moments as you taught them about some concepts that came up in the book. Share those things in a review on Amazon or iTunes, and it would be incredibly helpful. We would just so appreciate those reviews. And again, you can find Backpacker ABCs at backpackerabcs.com. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, Backpackable Dips and Spreads. And I found two that I love. That's refried beans and hummus. I found these both in the bulk section of my local grocery store. I've heard that they exist in packaged form in other grocery stores, but I haven't seen them in our local grocery stores. I've only seen them in the bulk section. And the great thing about refried beans and hummus is that all you have to do is add water. You don't need to heat it up. 
They're super easy to eat with tortillas. They're so good with pita bread or crackers or corn chips. They're flavorful and they're filling. And because they're dehydrated, they are super light and the perfect thing for you to take on your next backpacking trip. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from Walt Whitman. This is from Leaves of Grass from the poem, There Was a Child Went Forth. There was a child went forth every day, and the first object he looked upon, that object he became, and that object became part of him for the day, or a certain part of the day, or for many years, or stretching cycles of years. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you want to inspire a child to get out backpacking, you can order our most recent children's book, Backpacker ABCs, at backpackerabcs.com. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. take what I say and like (laughs) here's what she's thinking in her head that's what she meant thank you you're welcome